Hi, this is Carrie Broadhead with the Life Dragons Do They Fight audio series under the direction of Life Changing Services. And I have an incredible general from the Sense of Healing with me. And I am so excited for you to hear from him. I love this man. He is awesome. And I've known him for years. He started uh, in Sons of Helaman probably about a year after my son started in Sons of Helaman. And I love his mother. We work together. So I, I know Brighton really well as far as how I know generals. The only other general I know better is my son. And I know him well because I know his mother really well. But I've also had many opportunities to hear the insight that Brighton has. And I've always been so inspired with the density that he has for the Savior and for the principles and the tools that he's learned. So, Brighton, if you wouldn't mind just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, what kind of things you like, what makes you cool as a man. So, right now I'm 22, and... I really enjoy being outside. And when I'm not outside, I'm normally inside on the couch with a book. So, but when I am outside, I enjoy rock climbing, playing in the trees and the mountains, stuff like that. My family grew up with, we, we didn't have a TV, so we spent a lot of time outside um, building stuff with the ropes and logs and things like that. There's an afternoon in high school where I got done with all my homework and stuff a little early, so I decided to build a medieval war machine. It was kind of like a large crossbow. I'm going to shot a guard and hoe for 50 yards. It wasn't accurate at all, but that was the kind of stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. So when I wasn't running around doing that kind of stuff, I was reading books. Those are things that have stuck with me, even in college. That's stuff that I like to do. Awesome. So now you're in college, and, yeah. and you've been on a mission. Tell us a little bit about your mission. So I... Served my mission from June of 2013 and 2015. Um, I served in the state of Washington. It's the Vancouver mission. It takes in Portland, um, Vancouver, and goes east into the Cascades in Washington State and then follows the Columbia River down to the coast. And I served all over in there. had an opportunity to meet a lot of different people, served in big cities and little cities. It was definitely a growing experience for me. I learned a lot about myself and the kind of man that I wanted to be based on what I saw in other people where they were in their places in life. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, Brighton, tell us a little bit about how you noticed you needed support and how it all came about from your parents finding out and you coming to Life Change Services and discovering the Sons of Healing program. So I can trace the addictive behaviors back to when I was eight years old. That's roughly when it started. We don't know exactly how things got started or, yeah, I, we, we don't really recall how I was first exposed. But the addiction started when I was about eight years old. And it went on for a couple of years. It wasn't too serious. But eventually, probably when I was around 10, was the first time that I approached my, my parents because um, I knew something was off. I knew something was wrong. It's, it was definitely the, uh, the Holy Ghost, the light of Christ, saying that my life wasn't in alignment with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so I approached my parents, and 
that, that was the first time I approached them, asked for help and stuff like that. We kind of worked some stuff out. They, um, they helped me a little bit and I got better for a little while. And then right around the time I turned 13, this, it, it all came back. And at this point I was silently crying out for help. I wanted my parents to, to catch me to find out. I would drop little hints here or there in conversation, stuff like that. And um, eventually, eventually my parents did find out and it was a bit of a relief when they did find out. And so they, they started doing everything they knew how to do. They, they took me to see a, a therapist who'd worked, I think he was an independent therapist, but he'd done the church's 12 step program before. Um, and we tried to work through that, which is a phenomenal system, but I was 13. I wasn't really mature enough to, to take on these 12 steps and do them at the time. And I just didn't care enough. And so we eventually stopped seeing him because it wasn't, wasn't working. And at that point, I, I definitely felt like I was fighting on my own. And I definitely felt two-faced because on one hand, I was supposed to be the deacon's quorum president at I'm also living this this other life behind the scenes. And it was such an uncomfortable feeling. When remember the bishopric comes in and says, we're going to go and do baptisms for the Des Award. Who would like to go? And a bunch of people raised their hands, and I knew I couldn't. Or sometimes I would, knowing I wasn't supposed to. Just the the guilt, the... The shame was a very heavy, heavy load. And my parents didn't stop helping. It was just they were doing what they knew how to do. And we were all just kind of grasping at straws until eventually um, when I turned 16 is when we um, we finally found help in the Sons of Healing program. Brighton, I want to ask you a question about your parents. So many young men try to hide this and think that they can just fix it on their own because they don't want to they don't want to hurt people that they love or they're afraid that the people that love them will no longer love them once they discover this is what's going on so what what would you tell a young man in your experience about how what kind of empathy could you give a guy like that and what would you tell him would be so wise for him to do anyway. I think one of the things I would tell him is that wounds don't heal until they're dressed. Um, anyone who knows anything about first aid, if if a kid trips uh, or he falls on a skateboard or a scooter or something like that in the middle of the road and gets some road rash, you don't just slap a Band-Aid on it because there's going to be little bits of dirt and stuff like that. And then if those don't get pulled out, the wounds can get worse. There'll be infection and festering and all sorts of nasty stuff. And part of dressing the wound is you have to, uh, you have to open it up or I'm not talking surgery or anything like that, but you have to, you have to wash it with water, with soap. Oftentimes you put antibiotic ointment on it and cover it with a bandage. And emotional, mental wounds like an addiction aren't any different. In order for it to 
get better at first it needs to to come out into the light so it can be treated and the first step is is telling people that you trust people not only who you trust but people who are capable of helping you and there there's a lot of young men who they do worry about how their their parents are going to react how friends are going to react how siblings are going to react and if that's a, a huge concern, then perhaps a good place to start is with speaking with your bishop and going to him saying, look, I've got a problem and I need help. And then he may be able to provide some guidance on how to approach your parents. But again, your bishop can't provide the same sort of support that your parents can. And so if you have a decent relationship with your parents where they, they care about you and want to help then going through the painful process of opening up to them is, is worth it because it gets to the point where you don't feel you need to hide it. I mean, in no way are they going to encourage the behavior, but it's, it's such a relief knowing that it's not a secret anymore and that they're working with you to find the healing that you all need. What about your parents working with you? What are some things that you noticed? And because not only have you been in several parent meetings, but just in your own experience with your parents, what are some things that you've noticed that parents can do or that your parents did that were working with you and things maybe you suggest would say that would be working against your son. The first thing that came to my mind are things that parents can do. My mother and father helped in different ways. And this isn't necessarily a gender-based thing. Any dad could help the way my mom did. Any mom could help the way my dad did. It was just, in this instance, they, they were better functioning in different ways. My mother was the cheerleader, I guess is the, the best term I can think of, who... She was there and supportive, and when I fell, she's the one who said, come on, you can move through this. She, she placed a lot of trust in me when I had no trust in myself. One of the most influential things that she did, and she still does, anytime that I'm home. In, in our family, we have family prayer um, every night before we go to bed. And our parents give each of us a hug and tell us goodnight, and they love us. And so just before I go to bed, when my mom gives me a hug, she says, have a good night, my warrior. And she knows that evenings is when I'm, I'm the weakest. That's when I'm most vulnerable. And that does wonders for, for a guy's brain. First of all, reminding me that I'm a warrior. Second, making it clear that I'm not a random mercenary, but that I'm fighting with people. I'm fighting for people. And it's the, the loving expectation. How can a guy let his mom down? It's, that was a huge thing that my mom did and still does. And she had no idea how influential the things she was doing when she started doing that. It must have been inspired. One of the other things that she did is she... She wanted to learn. It, it wasn't quite the same thing as curiosity. It wasn't a mild curiosity in what I was learning. It was, 
she she wanted to understand. And so after after a group, she'd ask me, what did you learn? And we'd talk about it. And I would teach her the principles that I learned. And seeing that she was interested, did great things for me. Watching her attend the monthly meetings, doing things so that she could be educated. And my dad did the same thing. That's one of the things that they both did well, was they both showed interest. They both wanted to learn and understand. But my dad approached things a little differently. He, he would ask me specific questions. How do I do this? In this situation, how do I react? And so the, the term I would use for my dad's technique was he was my battle buddy. We fought together. We still do. We have conversations all the time of, under this situation, what do I do? When I'm flagpoling, what do I do? And we talk and we share lessons that we've learned from the scriptures and from experience. And there's times when we've done our flagpole drills together where we both go running together. And my dad would put his calendar next to mine on the wall. And so we, for many people, it's kind of a competition because I'm the one that knows the principles. I can't let my dad beat me. But in this situation, it wasn't. It was, we're battle buddies. We fight together and we, it was wonderful for each of us to see the other's success. And so I think those are wonderful things that any parent can do. The easiest one is be interested, not just curious, but interested. Attend meetings, get the book, read the material, ask questions. Because as your son teaches you, they learn the principles better themselves. And that is so easy. It takes just a couple of minutes and one or two questions. And as you pay attention, you'll get other questions that you can ask um, and you'll help your son learn the principles better. And I, I don't think it's very hard to, to play the role of cheerleader or battle buddy. On the flip side, there are several things that parents shouldn't do. A big one is don't make your whole relationship about the addiction. Yes, they have an addiction, but don't call him an addict. He's your son. Don't let this define him. Every conversation you have should not be about the addiction. You can have a conversation about it here and there, maybe once a day. Some need a little more, some need a little less. But he needs to know that you love him for him. Talk to him about school, about sports, about anything. Make sure that you have more conversations with him about everything else, anything else, than about the addiction. Because he still needs to know that he's loved. And then he's more willing to come to you for, for help and to ask questions, to answer questions. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest thing a parent can do is strengthen the relationship with your son and make sure that it's not about the addiction. That's excellent. Your parents have taken um, my eternal lawyers class. And yeah, they're phenomenal at being lawyers. Uh, especially your dad he's inspiring like he would keep me on my toes he had so many good questions for me I'd be like okay I have to think really hard on that I'm not really sure how to answer that you'd be like here's what I'm trying to figure out so it was obvious that he he was way lots of times way ahead of me I was thinking wow this guy he's into this he loves it he's really passionate about fighting and fighting well his own personal battles. The men in your family are inspiring to me. Cool. So 
Brighton, tell me some of the things in the Sons of Kinoan program that had such great value to you personally that you learned that just were like, ah, oh, that is so helpful. That really, I found a lot of value in that principle or in this aspect or that dynamic in Sons of Kinoan. I think one of the huge things is understanding the world we live in and the circumstances that we live in. One of the things that we talk about in the Sons of the Human program is you need three testimonies or a testimony of three things. And you should have a testimony of many things. You should have a testimony of every principle of the gospel. But these three in particular are crucial to spiritual survival and success. The first crucial testimony is of the Savior Jesus Christ and the healing power of the atonement and the things that can do. And that's not something that we focus on a lot in this terms of human program because in a well-run ward and in most healthy families, that should be taken care of. That's a little more of the parent's responsibility and the bishop's responsibility to help the young man develop a testimony of Jesus Christ and conversion to his gospel. We do touch on it from time to time, but not as much. We focus more on the other two. The second testimony is one of yourself. And it's in a humble and confident way, having the confidence that I have the strength and the abilities to win these kind of battles, but also recognizing your own weakness And humility is an interesting thing. Most of us, when we think of humility, we beat ourselves over the head, listing all our problems. That's not humility. Humility is perfect honesty with yourself. And that means acknowledging your weaknesses. But that also means acknowledging your strengths. Someone who is humble is willing to point out, these are my strong suits. And so that's what we talk about. And there's a difference between pride and confidence. So you can be humbly confident in in your battles you say i know i'm weak here and god will help me here i'm strong here and here god lets me kind of stand on my own and that's very important if you have no confidence in yourself or the abilities that you and principles that you learn you're not going to succeed the third testimony is when i talk about it people at first are a little offset because this is a, a testimony of the reality of satan of the devil and one of the people are like, whoa, are you saying worship person? It's like, no, not at all. But Newton was absolutely right when he named the three laws of physics that um, carry his name, that for every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. And so there's an almighty source of good, and we call him God. There's also a source of evil, and that's Satan. And you have to realize, and what most people don't realize is that we're at war. And it's a war waged for the souls of men. And you don't fight a war with just one side. And so that's what this is all about. It's the war that's been going on for millennia, where God's trying to save his children, and Satan is trying to take as many as he can with him into misery. And so you have to know that he's real. We don't study him. I don't think it's healthy to study him. Understand his tactics is important. You have to know how the other general thinks. 
but we don't pay a whole lot of attention to the individual because um, I think focusing on darkness more than light is, isn't healthy, but you can focus on how the darkness moves and its techniques and tactics. And I think it's finding a healthy balance, focusing on the, the power of the atonement and faith in Jesus Christ and recognizing what I need to do so that I can be ready to combat darkness. Awesome. A lot of people think requirements of sons of prison are a little bit deep. But um, requiring a young man to get to 12 straight weeks with no lost battles to masturbation or pornography, requiring them to have 28 consecutive days of doing six goals every single day that are required. But what they think is harsh is that they get one loss on one of those six squares and go all the way back to day one. Or they get one loss uh, after maybe having eight straight weeks of winning, no lost battles to Mr. M and Mr. P, and they lose a battle and have to go all the way back to zero and start over. What would you say to people that say, that's just too harsh, I'm not quite sure about that? I would say that it seems harsh, but it's necessary. The psychology behind it is that it takes three months, 12 weeks, 84 days, um, whichever way you want to phrase it, to learn the principles necessary. Example, it took me a year and a half to graduate from the program. And I was what they called a yo-yoer because as soon as I got in the program, I started winning. And I did great. I made it four weeks to the status we called lieutenant. And I lost. I lost for a couple of weeks and I won and I got up to week four again and I lost. And it was, a, I was going up and down like a yo-yo and it was a hard time because there's times where I feel like I'm doing well, but there's this constant worry. Am I going to make it to week four again? Can I make it past there? There seemed to be a wall at week five. I was really good at winning for a month and then I crashed and burned. And eventually I broke that barrier of week five and I slowly made a little more progress and then I lost. So I'm grateful that the rules are that strict because if it was just to make it six weeks, I, I wouldn't have the skills and techniques to, to survive outside of the Sons of Human program. I made it to, it was nine weeks and six days once. It was just before Christmas time. And this loss was particularly devastating because I, I'd been winning for nine weeks and six days. I thought I was doing what I needed to be safe. And I decided this year I'm going to give a Christmas present to Jesus Christ. It's going to be my cleanliness. And I knew exactly how many days I was going to be clean uh, when Christmas rolled around. And I lost and I was so disappointed in myself because I let my God down. I let myself down. I let my parents down. I let the guys in group down. I remember walking in to group that week and reporting. Not only had I lost, but I lost hard. And the clinician He's kind of joking, no, nah, you're lying. I, he gave me an opportunity that if I want to, I could have lied. And I could have pretended like everything was okay. But I said, no, that's, that's how it is. And it was, it was hard. And I went back to being a yo-yo. I went up and down again for, for months. And then eventually I, I came to the realization that not only did I want to win, I needed to win. And I was willing to do anything necessary to win. 
and I committed to myself, I was going to be a freak. I was going to be a righteous freak. And I started doing everything I felt I needed to. Anytime I had a close call, I would review. I would do the same kind of review that we do for Lost Battle. We call it a, a Q5 or a question five. Anytime I had a close call, I would carefully analyze and figure out what I need to do to be stronger. It got to the point that I was, I had something at almost every hour of the day from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. I was doing over 500 push-ups a day, running to my flagpole three times a day. I was doing warrior chemistry drills, serving my mother, all these different things so that I could be safe. And if the program had stopped at nine weeks or if I was given just a little bit of leeway, if I had one mess up, if I was allowed one mess up and I could just kind of keep going, I never would have learned those lessons. I never would have become as devoted as I was and learned so much along the way. So I'm grateful that it is that strict that you, you mess up once and you start over and it's hard and it hurts for the boy and for the parents and everyone involved. But we learn so much more from failure than we do from success and not giving that little leeway. That would be so nice is in this case, what teaches those very valuable lessons. So I think that's what I would say to, to the boy or anyone who's questioning how strict sense of human is, is that if it was a little more lenient or if it was kind of a three strikes before you start over kind of thing or whatever the policy, you would not be able to learn enough to spiritually survive without the support of sense of human. Because at some point you need to graduate and you need to be able to go and stand on your own and serve others. And you need to be able to be strict on yourself when there's not a whole group of valiant young men supporting you. And that personal discipline strictness won't come if, if you have these little leniencies when you're going through, I guess, what you could term boot camp. Because that's kind of what sense of human is. It's spiritual boot camp that prepares you to to fight and survive for the rest of your life. So after Sunday Poland, when you're standing on your own, what would you say it takes a young man to be successful after sense of human? Is it really possible to feel like, you know what, I'm in a place of recovery here and I can maintain this. Is that really possible? It's definitely possible. It's, it's not easy, but this entire life, the way this entire life is set up is everything's a muscle. Everything, every attribute in our lives is being strengthened or weakened depending on what we do. If we'll take any athletic or sport, for example, the more you practice, the better you get. No golfer is going to get a really good game just sitting there watching Tiger Woods. They have to practice. And you can get really good. You can become a professional golfer. And then if you go sit down for a year and you just don't play, you come back, your game is not going to be as good. You'll probably be better than a lot of people around you. But you will be significantly worse than when you started. Everything's a muscle. And sons of human principles are no different. You have to practice them every day, every day, every day, all the time. There's no breaks. I was talking to someone earlier today, and he was telling me that he had just learned that 
we can never let our guard down. And I agreed with him. I said, there's only two times that we can ever let our guard down. The first is when we're dead. (laughs) The second is inside the temple, because that's the one place Satan cannot go. He's everywhere else. So it's definitely possible. Once you graduate from the sense of human, you can go and you can win and fight the rest of forever. If you stay diligent and disciplined and you continue to practice the principles that you learned every day, every day, every day, no exceptions. Yeah, that's one thing that I um, have noticed is it's a difference between people that learn the principles on just a self-mastery level compared to learn the principles on I'm overcoming an addiction level is that awareness of what discipline really is really becomes real to someone who I'm staying in a place of recovery with this addiction. And it's so inspiring to watch, like inspiring to a point to me personally that I think that is like superhuman. You know, it's superhuman because it's like being a real superhero in the immortality because the diligence and consistency it takes is uh, there's a heightened level for that for maintaining a place of recovery. But what that does to to the men that do that, what it does for people around them and what it does for them as far as their life's mission and what they're here to accomplish for God is pretty inspiring. That's something I've noticed about you. I always feel that way about you. I always think, I can't wait to see what this guy does. I mean, I just love how you're so incredibly transparent about who you are and that you you have a mission here and that your journey to recovery is evident of who you are and that you do have a mission. How would you describe that? You know how they say when a boy comes in the sense of human, he's feeling like, man, I'm just pathetic, you know? How would you describe that transition into going through something like Sons of Human and getting to a place of recovery no matter what program you're in, but gives you a heightened level of awareness who you are and what you're doing here? I think you already kind of hit it right on the head is learning who you are. Part of that testimony of self that I, turned, I talked about earlier is understanding to a small extent who you were before this life. Because in this life, odds are that you're not really going to know who you were. But understand that Satan wouldn't attack you this intensely if he wasn't afraid of you and the good you can accomplish. Once you not just understand that, but it starts to sink in that I am a threat. It's empowering. It's very much like there's a one tiny little sentence in Joseph Smith history in the Pearl of Great Price, um, where right after Joseph Smith explains his account with the first vision, um, and all these people are attacking him and stuff like that, he says, it seems that I was supposed to be an annoyer and a disturber to the kingdom of the devil from an early age. When that sinks in that that's what I am, 
I am an annoyer. I am a nuisance to the Satan. It's, it's empowering. I have enough. I have the influence within me to shake, to be like Captain Moroni and shake the foundations of hell forever. And I think that's the process. That's what a young man who walking into any addiction recovery process program who feels pathetic, I think that's eventually what they have to realize. Realizing their own self-worth, what they are, what they're capable of. And then deciding that that's who they want to be. They want to be their potential. They want to live up to that potential. They want to be just as valiant as they were in the life before this. And I really want to emphasize that word valiant because valiant is a lot more than just courage and bravery. There's so much that goes into it. If you carefully study the use of the word valiant in the scriptures, there's a lot that goes into it. It's, I don't even know how to explain it. I could, I could take hours just on that one word explaining what I've learned about it, but it's several prophets have talked about how valiant we were in the life before this and being that valiant again. When a young man begins to understand, first of all, who he was, and then he decides that he wants to be that again. And third, he decides he's going to get the backbone to do whatever it takes. That's when you become an annoyer and a nuisance to the devil and his kingdom. And I think that's when you become that, that superhuman that you were talking about earlier. You, you have that. It, it's, it's literally a fire. It burns within you that you're going to do whatever it takes to, to get there, to do that, to be that and to bring as many people with you along the way as you can. So, Brighton, in closing, I want to give you the last word. What would you tell other young men who are trying and failing, who have gotten to a place where they're like, you know what, I'm done trying. Or maybe even, you know, I haven't even come out yet. I'm still hiding in the dark because the light's going to just change it all and I don't know what that looks like over there in the light. What do you want to say in closing and then if you could uh, just answer the Q1 question which is why why do you fight and why don't you just give up? I think what I would say to the struggling young man is there is hope. There is light. And light is not something that we need to be afraid of. No one was ever truly happy living in the dark. We'll take the analogy of a cave. We'll say that you're in there and the batteries in your flashlight went dead. You can learn about the cave by crawling around. As you crawl around, you're going to find out what places are high, what places are low. You're going to find out that the floor over here is rough and smooth over there. And you're going to find most of that out by crawling around on your hands and knees and having banged up, bruised hands and knees. You'll find out where the walls are, mostly by getting a headache when you run into it. And you'll find the ceiling's low here and it's high over there. And you are going to learn, but it's going to be painful. And it's going to be slow. And that's the way an addiction is. And eventually, if you don't get light into your life, You'll become acclimated to it. 
and eventually you'll go blind because you're so used to being in the darkness that when you're shown light, you can't see it. And that's the scary thing that happens with an addiction is if it's not taken care of, if you don't want to fix it, eventually that's where it can lead to a place where you just don't want to fix things and people around you are going to do everything they can to help you. And it's just going to hurt when they see that you care. On the flip side, we'll say you've been stumbling around in a cave for a little while, it's dark, and someone comes along with a lantern. The light is going to hurt when you see it. But as the light's introduced into your little cave, not only are you going to learn faster, but you're going to learn things that you didn't know before. In some of those high places where you couldn't see the ceiling, you're going to see the formations. You're going to understand more. You're going to learn so much faster. And you're going to realize that it's beautiful. Though things are hard, existence is beautiful. And as you work to learn, it's not going to be easy. I mean, even though you have a light, you're still going to trip every once in a while. But you can begin to be a light and a beacon for everyone else. And so that's that's what I would say to the young man. Focus on not where things are now, but where they can be. Humans are this weird spiritual amphibian, is what C.S. Lewis called us, because we're spiritual beings stuck in this mortal temporal existence. We haven't experienced mortality for very long. We've been spirits forever. And so because our spirits are so used to a continuance of what is, of eternity, humans feel like whatever's happening right now, that's what's going to last forever. So if I'm depressed right now, I'm going to be depressed forever. If I'm happy right now, I'm going to be happy forever. Whatever you're feeling right now, humans mistakenly think that's going to last forever. And so learning to see through that and look at where eternity is going and look at the good, see that you can be a light. And that's what I would say to the struggling young man, that there is light, you can get it, and you can be a light. One of the greatest joys in my life right now is trying to be a beacon to the people around me, especially women. Trying to live my life in such a way that any girl can walk into the same room as me and feel safe. That they can breathe a little easier. I want to be an instrument God can use to, to be a beacon of tranquility. I want people to just feel comfortable around me. Like things are okay. And I think that's a good place to transition to why I fight. Because that is what I fight for. I want to be a beacon. I want to be a light. I want to be an instrument in the hands of God. I want to be his server and used to help people heal. I want to, to be the person that God knows he can trust. That when he has a job, an errand that needs to be done. That he knows that he can send Brian. in. And not only will it be done, but it'll be done well. Those are some of the reasons I fight. I also fight for for my family. I am my parents here. They tell me that all the time. And it's, it's very humbling. Because normally in a healthy family, the son looks up at his father and says, that's my hero. And looks up at their mom and says, she's my hero. But when... My parents tell me I'm their hero. It's so humbling. And conversations I have with my dad all the time where he'll be talking about a principal and then he'll just pause and say, oh, you already know this. You know this so much better than I do. 
can't let them down. I won't let them down. I fight for my siblings because I get to be their coach and their mentor. I get to be their good example. And I fight for the future. I fight for my future. Someday I'm, I'm going to meet this wonderful woman that I'm going to want to take into the temple of God. And I want her to trust me. I want to earn her perfect trust because that's important to me. And I want to teach my sons to slay demons. I want to teach my daughters that they're princesses and that I want them to be raised knowing how a man should treat them and that they won't stoop for anything less than a good, righteous disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think one of the biggest reasons that I fight is eventually I'm going to stand for my God and my Savior Jesus Christ. I'm excited about that. I'm, I make mistakes like everybody else does, and I'm kind of worried about those, and I want to repent and stuff like that. But my number one goal, my biggest goal, the greatest accomplishment I want to achieve is on that day I want to be able to run to the arms of my Savior and fall into his embrace and be comfortable there. Because I know if I'm comfortable there, that I'll have done a good job. I'll have lived a good life. And, and that's why I fight. So I can be happy in the presence of my God and bring as many people as I can with me.